0: Today we have with us on Street Smart Success, a repeat guest who I'm so excited to talk to. I was so impressed when we spoke the first time because he's so focused on such a great niche, but in a great geo and a tight geo footprint that makes him just an expert probably more so than anybody else on earth that does exactly what he does. He is the owner of Brit Properties. He is Joel Friedland. Joel, welcome back to Street Smart Success.
1: Roger, thank you. It is so good to be back with you.
0: Yes, we had a nice conversation. And if I had more hair, which I don't, we'd look alike. I mean, we kind of look alike, but uh, you you have more hair than I do. So Joel, just for the heck of it, uh, for listeners who maybe didn't hear our first interview, uh, maybe give them the the Joel Friedland background and you can start wherever the heck you want to start that story. It could be at your own bris. I mean, you tell us what you want to tell us.
1: Yeah, sure. I started out in the real estate business right after graduating from the University of Michigan. I found by cold calling a family that was in industrial real estate. Their last name was Podolsky. And I went to work for a father, Milton, and his two sons, Randy and Steve and daughter, Bonnie. They had 84 industrial buildings in a syndicated portfolio in 1981 when interest rates were 17%. And the world was uh, very scary economically. And the 10 vacancies in their 84-building portfolio uh, were really hurting them. They were getting no rent, no taxes, and no insurance. And they said to me, "Uh, what are you going to do to fill up our buildings? And I said, I'm going to go door to door in industrial parks, and I'm going to cold call, and I'll find tenants by talking to the neighbors and convincing them to relocate. So I did that the first year. I filled up nine of their 10 vacancies and did a bunch of general brokerage representing tenants and landlords and sellers and buyers. And uh, About nine years later, after doing this for every day as a broker, as as an industrial real estate broker, I decided to become an owner and syndicator. And I went to the Podowskis and Steve, my greatest mentor forever, is the son and Milt, the father, said they would invest in my first deal if I would find something. And I found something and they put 30% of the money up and said, you go find the rest. It's up to you. We're not doing everything for you. And I went out and I found uh, about 20 investors and we all put our money in, including myself. And that was our first deal. And then we did another one and another one. And then I went out and started my own business because the Podolsky's, as much as I love them, would not adopt me and make me an equal partner. But it was uh, a great experience being with them. And to this day, by the way, Steve Podolsky is still one of my great advisors and a close friend and an investor. And it's 43 years later. That's so that's, uh, that's what happened. And, and then uh, I became a syndicator and I grouped up with another bunch of partners and we raised money from 250 investors altogether. Uh, we bought about 100 properties. 97 of them were in Chicago, and the Chicago suburbs. We did some deals in New York, Florida, uh, and Ohio, but I realized micro focus is better. Uh, Florida worked out okay. New York worked out great. And Columbus, Ohio was a disaster because I didn't really know the market and didn't know the brokers and didn't know the players. And yeah, I bought something there because my brother-in-law said it was a good deal. And I found out later it wasn't a good deal. Did I tell you that it was uh, referred to by the local brokers as the stabbing building? No, no, no. Yeah, I was in Florida for winter break and my father-in-law pointed to a guy at a table around the restaurant and said, hey, that that guy uh, lives in Columbus and he's an industrial something. You should say hello to him. So I went and I said, hi, I'm Joel Friedland. He said, oh, hey, Bob, how are you doing? I said, I I bought a building with my brother-in-law at 1033 Brent Nell. And he said, you bought the stabbing building? And I said, what? He said, oh, yeah, a broker was showing it. And somebody came into the building while it was open and ran around trying to stab him. I said, oh, so the building I bought has the reputation as being the stabbing building. My brother-in-law didn't tell me that. (laughs) So why didn't he tell me that? And you know what the answer is? This is what I wanted to talk to you about, Roger. This is so cynical. I know you're cynical. Yes, I am. You're critical. You're cynical, and you're careful. This is sickening that I'm saying this, but I believe this to be true. In real estate, the first three rules are: everybody lies, everybody lies, everybody lies. I've told you that before, right?
0: No, <laughs> no. That's why I'm glad I had you back because I would have <laughs> trust me, I would have remembered that. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: yeah. I, it, real estate, especially industrial. And commercial and multifamily, large deals, people who are buyers and sellers, I believe, feel somewhat okay saying things that may not be true to either get a better price or to get better terms because it's such a big investment, whether you're selling or you're buying or you're leasing, that sometimes saying something for as an advantage in negotiating A lot of people don't look at it as lying. They look at it as, oh, it's just negotiating. But the truth is, if you boil it down, there's a lot of lying that goes on. And so my brother-in-law, by omission, didn't tell me that this building was in a neighborhood where where someone broke in and tried to stab the broker because he wanted me to invest in the deal and he didn't want to give me the negative. And I'm pissed, man. I mean, we lost a lot of money on that deal. We lost a lot. We, it was a 1.8 million dollar deal, and my group and I put in 900 thousand, and we came away with 400 thousand of our 900 thousand at the end of the day. And it was sickening. And I believe that I was lied to.
0: Is he your uh, is he your sister's husband? How is he your brother-in-law?
1: He's my wife's sister's ex-husband. Uh, okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Couldn't be a nicer guy. Listen, if you were with him in a social situation, he's a good guy. He's a nice looking, friendly, smart, good guy. But I say give an average person a piece of real estate to do something with. And I, I really believe this. It's it's really unfortunate. So when I hear what people say about something, it's like the old Ronald Reagan saying, trust but verify, I verify because I don't believe when someone's trying to sell me a building for 5 million dollars that they're telling me everything they should be telling me
0: you know i try not to talk too much in my own podcasts because it's gauche and it's tacky <laughs> and i tr- and i try to let the guests do all the talking but i'm going to make an exception i'm going to talk for a minute cuz you've really pressed one of my buttons so, I don't come from the real estate business. I will never know even one percent of what you know. And uh, I just want I don't have the time, and it's not what I've done for the last thirty five years. I am a real estate investor because some of my just just as it happens, some of my best friends over the years, i I live in the Bay Area or are real estate guys, and so I learned that way. and I know I know you can make a lot of money and being here in the Bay Area. A lot of people made a fortune just buying anything 30 years ago. It has been my observation that, including my friends, people that I have met for the most part that are really successful real estate people and mostly investors here in the Bay Area, once you get more than a centimeter deep into the, beyond their skin, their heart is nails, and generally assholes. So another thing I try not to do is swear on the podcast. <laughs> and, and, and so I've just now violated two things. And I have just concluded over the years, because these are not terrible human beings, I've just concluded over the years to kind of agree with what you're saying, but using different words And is this. I just think that it's human nature that the more money that's on the table, the more people compromise who they are and what their ethics are. And that is my conclusion is, it, and I'm I'm not here to say I'm right or wrong, but that's kind of what I've come away with. Because I've thought to myself, why is it that these are my friends and, and people that I get to know maybe, you know, through real estate, but become friends? Why is it that most of them are assholes, but they're really not terrible people? And that's just what I've concluded because it's all of them, you know, with a couple exceptions. And I just go, I just think that's human nature. That's
1: where I conclude. Yeah. Yeah. I I had a partner uh, who unfortunately passed away at age 48 about seven years ago, and he and I were partners for 20 years. And he would ask me all kinds of questions because he was 10 years younger to see if I had any wisdom on certain subjects. And he said, do you think you have to be an asshole to be successful in business? And I said, no, I don't think you have to be an asshole, but it doesn't mean that there are a lot of people who are not assholes who are successful in business. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be, but you know, it's a, it's not even about values. I think, let me, let me tell you about values. So we have friends and we went to Disney world with them, with our three kids and their three kids. And when you go up to pay years ago, when you go up to pay, you'd go to the uh, payment booth where someone was sitting and taking credit cards. And it said at that time, certain ages of kids were at different prices for a Admittance.
0: I know where this so, is going.
1: You know where this is going? Yeah. So, this is a person who I really trust, the mother of these three children, who is one of my wife's close friends. And she looked at it, and her kids were, let's say, 14, 11, and eight. And it says, So, for anybody 12 and under, it's a certain price. And for anybody six and under, it's a certain price. And it's amazing how she forgot the ages of her children.
0: Incredible you know
1: thing. Yeah. And and what did what did she save? Well, probably at that time, she probably saved about $30. And I said to her, why did you do that? She says, well, everyone does. And I said, well, maybe they do and maybe they don't. And I think the answer is a lot of people do. A lot of people look at it and say, hey, it's my money. And if I have to say something that may not be true to save some money, who's going to know? No one's looking at my kids' driver's licenses. They're kids. They don't have driver's licenses. So now translate that same mindset into somebody is buying a building for $3 million and they find that the roof is bad and they go back and they say to the seller, the roof's bad and they get a bid, let's say for 500000 and they say, uh, this roof is really, really bad, and I've got a number of seven hundred thousand to replace it. So I need a seven hundred thousand dollar discount because I thought you told me it was a, a good roof. Now wait a minute—they have a bid for five hundred thousand, and they're asking for seven hundred thousand. Is that negotiating or is that lying? Yeah, both. Right. Well, <laughs> anyone who's a negotiator will tell you that it's the art of manipulation for the most part. I, I know you know this as well as anybody. But I see it every day. I see people lying every day. And you got to be tolerant because it's human nature. You got to be tolerant of something that's human nature. Yeah, I
0: think you're right. Well, otherwise, you'll just drive yourself crazy. And what's the point?
1: Yeah, yeah. I've had so many clients when I was full-time broker who told me the lies they wanted me to tell on their behalf. Oh, wow. Yeah, tough. Yeah. Look at politics. (sighs) Yeah. You know, do you believe when certain people say things that sound so outrageous that they're actually that they believe what they're saying? Are they saying it because they want to stay in office or get elected?
0: We're not even talking about real estate. And frankly, as a result of that, it's probably more interesting. Um, but Daniel Ellsberg going back to and I forget what his role was I think he was a psychiatrist going back to the uh, Watergate, the Watergate deal back in the early 70s. And he was testifying and he was way high up. I don't remember the details, but here's what he said. And I don't know. So this you triggered this on politics. He said, to be the president of the United States requires you to lie to the American people every single day. Right. Right. <laughs> and this is just one guy who's very who was in the inner circle just saying that's the nature of of what you have to do. So, you know, uh, I'm not here to say that that's true or not true, but it, it's, it was the perspective of one guy who's a hell of a lot closer to it than I ever will be anyway. All right. Well, very, very interesting conversation. And um, let me let me go back and ask you, you know, when, when you went door to door uh, working for the Podolsky's and, and to, to fill up those 10 vacancies. What year was that? In in how were you able to fill those vacancies? Was it just a numbers game, and you were willing to you know burn some shoe leather and just knock on enough doors to get a yes? Like how did you do that?
1: Yeah, yeah. First of all, I started in the summer. It was August, and so the weather was nice in Chicago. You <laughs> yeah. you have a couple seasons that aren't so nice, and going door to door is hard because there's snow or slush on the ground and it's freezing cold. But I would park my car in in a parking lot at an industrial building on an industrial street. And usually industrial streets have 7, 10, 12 buildings on them. They're, they're so big, it would have to be a very long street to have more buildings. So I'd park in the middle between all the buildings. <laughs> and I'd work my way one way, and then I'd come back and I'd work the other way. And I'd walk into a, a building, and I would say... At the time, there were such a thing as receptionists, people who sat at the front desk. It was almost always a woman. And I'd say, hi, I'm here to see the owner of the property because I have a vacant building across the street and wanted to see if you guys might consider moving. And so the receptionist would say, oh, we're not moving. And my question would be then, how do you know that you're the receptionist?
0: (laughs) (laughs) So you're so you were right out of the gate had a talent oh, for really connecting with people.
1: I was I was a bull in a China shop. <laughs> so I was really, really nasty. I mean, I would say, so the owner of the company, if there was a building across the street that was perfect and they had a meeting this morning and we're talking about possibly moving to a larger space and you didn't know it, when I walk out of here, they won't know. And then you know, I just wouldn't leave. I would just continue. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, when there was a no solicitation sign on the door, you just rip it in. off. No, that was an invitation. That means other <laughs> yeah. people are scared to come in. I'm going in. And well, no, so- but
0: you, you, were, so you were so smart that you realize you were so effing smart. You realize this is beautiful. I, I have no competition because nobody else will walk past it. Brilliant.
1: Right. They're afraid. <laughs> you got to be, to, to be a good cold caller in person, you have to be fearless and stupid. And I was both. <laughs> so, <laughs> so sometimes I would literally talk so loud that another person would hear me besides the receptionist. Smart, smart. I walked man. into this place in Elmhurst, Illinois, 717 Industrial Drive. I remember the day and I had a young guy that I was training. So this was about maybe 12 years in and I was already buying buildings and I was syndicating. And I said to this young kid, we parked our car in the parking lot. I said, we're going to get in to see the owner of this company, but watch the receptionist. will try to keep us out. So I walked in with the young man. His name was Dennis. And I said, watch this, Dennis. I said, who do I talk to here about whether you guys might consider selling your building? (laughs) It was so loud. That the entire office, and there's people working at cubicles, and they're all looking like, Who's this? What's going on here? And the receptionist did say, We're not moving. And I said, And how do you know that? And Dennis is watching me, and he's like, Oh, what's this guy doing? And she said, Because I live about six blocks away, and I can walk to work, and we're not moving because if we move, I'll have to drive a longer way. And I'm thinking, Oh, yeah, the the receptionist is going to drive drive is the same word, but is going to make the decision about whether they're moving or not based on where she lives. So I said to Dennis, um, all right, I guess you guys don't want to sell the building. <laughs> and I'm looking at Dennis and he's looking at me thinking, oh my God, I'm working for for like some kind of a crazy man. So we, we leave, we walk out and I said, there's a 50, 50 chance that someone's going to come chasing after us. So we're walking down the sidewalk back to the car and a man comes out the front door and comes up to us and says, don't leave, don't leave. Can can you spend a few minutes talking to me right now here outside? I said, yeah. He said, okay, well, uh, my name is Jeff Kohler and I'm the owner and my receptionist was wrong. We are looking to sell this building and we own the one next door. And if you're looking to buy, I need to get out of these buildings because we're being bought out as a company. And the company that's buying us doesn't want the buildings. I own the buildings. They're going to move the company into a larger facility on the other side of town. I said, you have time for a cup of coffee at Denny's? And he said, yeah. So we got in our car and he got in his and we went to Denny's a few blocks away, sat down, had a cup of coffee He said, if you pay me $3 million for these two buildings, I know that's what they're worth. I will take it and I'll make a deal with you. He was ready. And the receptionist was ready to throw us out and say no. So we bought the buildings.
0: You know, that's all anybody needs to know about sales right there. (laughs) You know, there's so many great sayings. One of the great sales sayings is don't take a no from somebody that can't say yes. And yeah. uh, was I mean I, that there's way more lessons in what that story than just that, but that's one of them, right?
1: Oh, uh, I have another funny one. I have a great one for you. There's a town here called Niles, Niles, Illinois, and there's a building on Gross Point Road, and it's seventy-seven uh, hundred Gross Point Road. I'm, I'm like an idiot savant with these addresses because I'm so so tuned into our market, and I've wanted to buy that building for years. It's just where I want to be. It's thirty thousand feet. It's exactly the building we want to own. So I went there when I was probably 35 years old and I walked in the door and there's a man sitting at the reception desk. And I said, Hey, do you know who I would talk to about whether you would sell this building? And he looks at me and he's chomping on a cigar. And he says, goodbye. I said, what? He says, get out. Just like that. Like this rough guy. I said, are you the owner? He says, get out. So about two years later, I'm training another young guy. All right guy named Steve. And I said, do you want to have a funny experience? We're going to walk into a building and I can predict what the guy's going to say. He's going to say, no, get out. And Steve says, how could you possibly know that? So we walked into the 7,700 building. The guy's sitting there, the same guy. And I walk in, I said, would you consider selling this building? Get out. (laughs) He was astounded.
0: Oh my God! I thought you were gonna say, but you know those. If, if did you keep going back
1: every couple of years? I gave up on that one. Okay, <laughs> I didn't. I didn't need to hear it for a third time. Oh my God! You're killing me.
0: You're yeah. killing me. Oh God! You're making me talk about myself. I hate you.
1: Oh, do it.
0: Do it. The only thing I've ever been good at in my entire life is selling things to people, and and arguably not even good at that. But but. I had a guy, so I I it was my ad agency, and I had a client of mine, and I pissed him off being just stupid. And I'm not going to go into the details. They're, they're not that interesting. But the bottom line is he he threw me out of his office. And he fired me as his agency. I basically wanted to get paid up front for something, blah, blah, blah. And I said, listen, you cut me a check right now, or your commercial ain't going on the air. It was television time. Whew he was an RV dealer. Those guys are, are hardcore. Those are, you know, car, it's like car dealer guys, right? They're up, yeah, yeah. They're up there with real estate. These guys are hardcore, not known for their warm, fuzzy, uh, humanitarian, uh, uh, nature. They throw, he threw my ass out. I and mean, that was it. And, I, I, but you know what, like a year later, I called him back. And uh, and I and I got and I and I did get the business. Yeah, I I, I don't know if I had your hoods, but 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 yeah, I had a lot of hoods. But it's the old ninety percent of success is just showing up.
1: Okay, oh, wait. I, I got one more. That's <laughs> okay. My neighbor cold calling, getting thrown out story. Yeah, we had a building in a town here called Alson, you know, on, on Laramie Avenue, and I went to a neighbor across the street that was occupying one unit in a four-unit multi-tenant building. And there were these two guys, young guys, big guys sitting there at the front. And I walked in and I was just using one of my funny lines. I thought it was being funny. And I said, hey, you want to move out of this dump? And they said, what? You think this is a dump? We own this dump. Because, you know, you'd think it would be an investor that was leasing to them, but it was their building. They occupied one unit out of the, the four units. And they said... You're out of here. And one brother looked at the other brother and said, "Let's go." And they picked me up, one under one arm, one under the other arm. They picked me up. These two big guys carried me out the front door and <laughs> threw me in the parking lot. And I ripped the the, the pants of my suit. Oh my god! <laughs> on their on their asphalt parking lot, like <laughs> they—that's called getting carried out. That's that's really getting thrown out. Oh, my God.
0: (laughs) If you haven't written a book, you need to write a book. You should at least be a motivational speaker. Oh, my (laughs) God. That is funny. Oh, my God. That's how
1: we find our buildings to buy. You know, we just, uh, it's like a small army of people going around asking if someone will sell their building in person that nobody else does.
0: You know, the amazing thing about that. Is that here it is or 2023 and you, you order food online and you you practically take a shower online. I mean, nobody leaves their house, blah, blah, blah. And I'm gonna email you and I'm gonna find me on LinkedIn and this and Instagram and that. And some things just never ever change. <laughs> and that's one of them. You're just, you know, it and, and there's no shortcuts, right? I mean, the, there's just no shortcut to doing that and and nothing is effective. So I I get it. When did you start syndicating? Just remind me.
1: So I'd been with the Podowskis for nine years. And that's when I went to them and said, I want to do what you do. I I told Milt, I said, you didn't get wealthy being a broker, did you? He said, ah, no. He said, I own the 84 buildings. And I have dozens and dozens of investors. And I live in Florida in the wintertime. And I drive such and such a car. And here's my Rolex. He was a little showy which it's not my style, but he said, the reason I have all these trappings is because I'm an owner, not a broker. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, I want to be like you. I want to be an owner. I don't want to keep being a broker. He says, you know, brokers die broke. They spend the money that they make in their best year thinking their best year will be every year. And then they build up a lifestyle and then it's a feast or famine business. And when it becomes a famine, they go broke because they're spending money out of their savings to keep up facade that they're big shots and they go buy another fancy car and they buy fancy clothes and they have a bigger house than they can afford. He says, I can afford all that stuff because I own all these properties and every year, year in and year out, they pump out cash flow." I said, yeah, that's what I want to do. And so that was when I was um, 30 and I'd been a broker for the prior eight or nine years. And that's when I did my first, second, and third deal with the Podowskis. And then when I left and I became partners with Lou Savage, I think I told you Lou Savage's uh Yeah, Fred the, Savage. Yeah. Yeah, Fred's Fred's dad. Yeah. Uh, his son, his other son's running for Congress to take Adam Schiff's seat out in LA. That's Ben Savage. Okay. Anyway, Lou wow. and and I and a few other guys, we were all partners and we we decided we wanted to own properties. And that's when we started to really build our investor base and start buying properties. So
0: was that like 25-ish years ago?
1: Yeah, yeah. 30, 30, actually 32 years ago. Oh, okay. All right. I'm much older than you think. So, yeah. So that's what we did. And we've done a hundred deals since then. And I think you know this uh, because I got so badly bloodied with debt in 2008. I've decided that I'm only going to do all cash, no debt deals. And so we raise money for a three million dollar deal. We raise three million dollars. We don't we don't borrow from a bank, and the investors who like that are the wealthy ones who don't want to lose their money. Our our minimum increment now is fifty thousand, and someone will try to be a partner with us. They'll they'll put their toe in the water with us for fifty grand. Some people won't do less than two fifty because they don't want to have too many small investments if they've got a big net worth. And um, that's that's the thing I'm doing now. So the thing I've learned is that I don't need to promise anybody a giant IRR. I'd rather tell them it's going to be a steady deal with no debt and we're only going to make a 7 or 8% yield starting now and we're not leveraging it to make it 11% or 12 because the leverage can come by- back and bite us in the ass. And so that's today's philosophy.
0: Got it. You know, I know there's a real finite uh, inventory of property that you specialize in, in a great market. How much do they appreciate? I mean, do they ever, because I know, I, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but... A likely acquirer of the property the kind of properties that you buy and run are would be owner users and so it's not necessarily them looking for a return it's looking for them looking for a place to run their business so what kind of appreciation do you see and i know you're a you're a buy and hold guy but do you ever does anybody come around once in a while and just offer you so much money you, you just you can't say no and there's a there's a there is a I, you just made it clear you're you're talking about hey here you're, you're going to get 7 or 8% you're not touting IRR's but do you ever walk into an IR a big IRR a big hit just because
1: yeah it's accidental though it's not planned I can tell you the cities here in Chicago there there are uh, seven submarkets and in the seven submarkets each submarket is anywhere between, let's say, four villages to maybe 12 villages. And I can tell you that in 1981, if you bought a building in Wheeling, Illinois, and you sold it in 2023, there's zero appreciation in that town. I will not buy another building there. I bought two, and all we did was really break even. And we did get rid of them because we want to own where there is appreciation where where there is appreciation also there's other other towns that are like that there's a town called broadview bellwood the values don't go up but if it's if it's a property right near o'hare which is really important and especially in what's called dupage county which is the county where the taxes are lower or in the city even though it's cook county and the taxes are higher The appreciation level in those two locations, DuPage, O'Hare, Chicago City, for whatever reason, the appreciation's been great. And it's always been that way. It it, it runs ahead of these other places. And Chicago's a, a very big city with a lot of land as you go west away from the lake. So out west, these developers can build brand new buildings on what used to be farms, but near O'Hare and near the city, you can't build anything because there's no land. You have to tear something down. So it really is a matter of where. It's so micro-focused in terms of what the right thing is to do here. So that's where uh, our our expertise comes in, and we try our best to not make the mistakes of buying in a place where when the market has a downturn that the values don't hold. Mm -hmm. Yeah, There's a town here called Bensonville, Wooddale, in those towns, properties go up in value pretty consistently at a higher rate than they would in in a typical industrial area in Cook County, which is where the taxes are higher. And the city's amazing. It never ceases to amaze me. We bought a building, 100,000 square feet in a tough neighborhood. And that's one of the big ones. You, you buy in a tough neighborhood and you put up with a little bit of safety concern. And when that neighborhood changes, which... Often it does in the city. Uh, we bought the building for seven million, and we got an offer from Prologis for sixteen million dollars uh, about six months ago. And so you asked me, would we sell it? We got a big offer. The answer is no. We will not sell it. We have a great tenant. This was the guy who was on Shark Tank. He has a protein bar company. He's doing twenty million dollars in revenue, and our return is about nine percent at this point. You know, I don't get these guys who buy stuff and say, we're gonna keep it for three years. Well, if it's good property, why would you get rid of it? Like, are you gonna get married for three years? You know, if you love if you if you've got the right spouse, hey, let's get married. But it's only for three years. Because when I need to get rid of you to to do better next time, you know. I don't I don't get people in so many of these crowd street deals and so many of these syndicated deals, investors who wanna get in and out in three years are not good for us. We don't have the same philosophy they do. How do you replace a great piece of real estate that you already own? Sell a good one and go buy a bad one?
0: Interesting. Another aside, one of my close friends who I was referring to earlier, who's one of my best friends and an asshole, he just sold sold to Prologis. (laughs) He had had Light Industrial down by the San Francisco airport. Fortunately, he doesn't listen to my podcast. He has too much money, he doesn't have to, but yeah, he bought it for 11 in like 2003. And, and philosophically, by the way, he's aligned with you. Um, he wasn't looking to sell it, but they offered him 70 mil for something he paid 11 for, so that was kind of hard. Yeah, to
1: from. There, there are reasons to take your chips off the table, yeah. So some of the reasons are maybe you make a big promote, that's that you know, how the promote works, of course, but right? So, a lot of people who, who don't know the syndicator gets a disproportionate share of the profits if it's a very profitable deal. So a guy like that might make, make, make 10 or $12 million on a, on a promote. And he might have, maybe his wife is saying, hey, you own this building and you've got a promote locked up in there and it's $12 million. We could use that. Let's go buy a house in the Bahamas. But if it's locked up in the building, you can't get your promote. So it's a payday for everybody when you sell something like that. But then you also no longer have a property. And Prologis is buying it because they believe in the future of it. They're not buying it because they're chumps.
0: Right. Do you buy, uh, I would imagine you do, but I'll ask it anyway. Do you buy vacant properties? All the time. All the time.
1: That's a value add. The value add on that is fixing it up a little bit and leasing it. And how, how
0: long does average take to leave, to refurbish and rent? lease.
1: I have one right now that's taken us two years, which is horrible.
0: Is it the uh, rehabbing the property or is it it rehabbed and it's just taking a long time to find a tenant or both?
1: Uh, It was rehabbing in this case because we bought it during COVID and we couldn't get people to work. We couldn't get the contractors and we couldn't get materials. We couldn't get the architect to, to spend his time the way we wanted. And then we had to get a zoning change. What complicated that one is it was in the city of Chicago, and we had to rely on politics to get the zoning changed to be industrial from what was commercial. I see. And it still isn't done. The, the city council is voting next week on whether they're going to change it. And I think it's a rubber stamp, but I don't know for sure. Mm. Yeah, we have a signed lease, but we can't let the guy move in. That's- oh, by the way, and this tenant was on Undercover Boss. I have all these tenants that were on TV shows. You know, I love, these love that under- show. Huh? I love that show. Yeah, this is David Seelinger from um, Empire CLS. They're the largest chauffeur service in the world. They have seven hundred locations. Wow! And they're they're they have corporate accounts. Like if you go on NetJets, if you if you fly private, and you you say, "Hey, I want your limo to pick me up." David's company is the limo company that NetJets uses and that Hyatt goes to and that. Uh, four seasons goes to and the oscars and the emmys when when they send somebody it's from david's company
0: who knew who knew yeah. i would ne- never thought of something like that what what is the average vacancy once you know with a property that's ready you know to be occupied
1: uh in today's market it's probably 2 to 3 months when the market's bad it could be 6 months to a year got it we suffer some vacancy when we buy a vacant building, for sure. And even if they, they lease it right away, tenant wants some free rent before they have to start paying to set their stuff up. So we do have interruptions in cash flow or delays in cash flow at times.
0: Got it. Honest answer. Um, and what what's your average purchase price? Three million. Three mil. Got it. So you're playing, you know, you're not, you're not bumping up against, in, you know, industrial uh, players, you, you know, and you're, you're not dealing with the mon pa investor. How many companies would you say profile is
1: like yours? In Chicago, there's three more, three others.
0: Uh, so you guys, you guys, it sounds like uh, there's no ambiguity there. So, so you, do you guys have a friendly collegial, you know, relationship or are you guys kind of dog eat dog or both?
1: We are incredibly close with each other.
0: Okay.
1: Yeah. We, okay. we know them. They know us. My son went on a mission to Israel with one of the other guys and spent a week with them, traveling around the country, you know, Jerusalem and going to the sites and all that. And they got to know each other on the bus and at the army bases or whatever they do on those missions. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's one of them. And then one of the other ones, the guy's uh, father-in-law and mother-in-law are friends with my, or our cousins of my closest friends. And so he has uh, twins and I've watched them grow up. And when they, we walk out of the building that we're trying to buy and if it's been marketed, the one guy is is, uh, leaving and as we're leaving, the other guy's showing up. Mm -hmm. So we, we know each other really well. We call each other all the time. We share information about what we think things are worth. It's collegial. Yeah. yeah,
0: Collegial. Do you ever get leads from those guys? Hey, I don't, I don't have the cash right now. or working on something else, but this guy's ready to sell or.
1: We talk about it all the time. We say, Hey, if you have a building you don't want, let me know. It's not happened yet. Mm -hmm. I did bring one deal that we own that we've had for 30 years and some of the investors are ready to be done with it. I did bring one of those to one of those buildings to both of those guys
0: Mm -hmm.
1: to see which one would want it more one of them one of them owns the building next door I see <laughs> so he's a logical buyer
0: very much so what's the average length of tenancy
1: our average tenant stays for 16 years wow no
0: kidding yeah. son of a gun yeah. so that's the other side of that equation my goodness
1: the rent goes up every year they we now have there never used to be escalations it used to be a five-year fixed deal when I first started and when the market got real hot, it turned into a market where the rent goes up every year. And now it's going up by three to 4% a year automatically under every lease. Mm. Fantastic. Yeah, a lot of it, it's not that we signed 16-year right. leases. We, we have five-year leases, but then when the time comes to renew, nobody wants to move.
0: Pain in the neck.
1: If they have machines and they have employees, they can't afford to lose their people. They can't afford to pull the machines up and have them out of service. If, if you've got a machine that's 20 feet long and 12 feet wide, moving it is a real project. It's a real it's a hire someone who knows how to take it apart and put it back together. If you've got 40 of those machines in a building, oh my God, you could spend three million dollars moving.
0: And I have a feeling even if they got a wild hair up their butt or whatever, it's probably more often than not, or as often as not, there's nowhere f- for them to move anyway.
1: So this is interesting. You know what they often do is they take the building next door. Because they can get back and forth by going across a parking lot. And sometimes they even build like a, a hallway with a ceiling and walls. And the forklift trucks in the wintertime or when it's raining can go back and forth between the two buildings. We, we had have a building in Elmhurst and the next door neighbor wanted to buy it. We said, sorry, we're not selling. He says, well, then I guess I have to lease it. And so he's got our building that he now leases next to the one that he owns. Mm-hmm. Just picking up his stuff and moving out of the one that he owns to go to a bigger building someplace else would have been undoable for him. Yeah. He just said, he sent me an email. He sent an email. He says, Joel, I'm still willing to way overpay to buy this building from you. You ever get something someone saying in writing they're willing to way overpay? Uh, not in my business. It's crazy. That's on Dusty. Yeah.
0: Perfect. I'm not going to ask you the lesson because I know what it is and you've already alluded to it. It's the debt issue, key lesson. But what is market pricing now? Is there been any relenting on sellers side with with interest rates going up, or is it such a gridlocked market that it's in in you're at a price point that isn't? Way it is interest and you're buying your well, that's your paying all cash. But I mean, what's what's the environment right now?
1: Everything in industrial in Chicago is still at a record price. It's never been higher. It has not gone down. Not not a dollar. Not a single the buildings are are now mostly in the good areas going for a hundred dollars a square foot or more. When I got into the business, it was forty dollars. Except in Wheeling, <laughs> it's still forty dollars. Yeah, but no, they're in most of the good markets, the city, the infill, uh, the type of buildings we buy are a hundred bucks. It's shocking to me. I never thought it would be 80. Never thought it would be 90. I just saw a deal at 140. Wow. So I have a really good friend. He makes cheesecake here. It's called Eli's Cheesecake. And I talk to him all the time. He just put an addition on the building and he said, What's my building worth? I said, Record number. It's never been worth this much. He said, Wow. That's good to know. He says, in this economy, it hasn't come down at all. I said, no, it might have even gone up.
0: In, in a market like Wheeling, do you get higher cash on cash because there's no appreciation, or is it is there, the prices just super high there too? And you,
1: well, the prices are lower there, deservedly so, and they're going to stay low, and you do not get a better return.
0: Yeah, so says so, so,
1: you know, you so that go- the, the, the
0: cost less to lease the space.
1: Yeah. Well, the taxes are high there, so it's not that much less on a gross basis. If you add the taxes, insurance, maintenance, and utilities to the rent, Wheeling's next to a town called Buffalo Grove. And in Buffalo Grove, the taxes are two and a half dollars lower per square foot. So really what's happened is anyone smart has moved to Buffalo Grove instead of Wheeling because the taxes never stop. Every year you still have to pay the taxes. They're never going to go down. So wheeling's been difficult because of its geometry, its uh, geography.
0: Hmm. Joel, we are you and I have have schmoozed for an hour, and I got to <laughs> tell you, this is the most fun podcast I have done in a long time. If somebody were to be so inclined to want to find out more about you and Brit,
1: how would they do that? Uh, the website is Brit. That's B R I T with one T. Brit Properties dot properties.com. There you have it, folks. Uh, you heard for yourself, Joel Freeland,
0: honest guy, knows his market better than or as well, certainly, as anybody on earth. And therefore, you mitigate an awful lot of risk if you're looking to invest and have a stable investment with stable cash flow. And we are done for the day, Joel. Uh, good job. Uh, you too, Roger. Thanks. This was great. You got it. And I'll talk to you soon.